0: Welcome to the Da Vinci Hour, a podcast series that interviews individuals across the field of medicine to help provide an inside look into their experiences and provide insight on how to navigate the journey of becoming a physician. My name is Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and I will be your host. This podcast is brought to you by Da Vinci Academy, a medical education company that provides online video courses, outline format books, and clinical case videos for students studying the medical basic sciences. You can check out all that DaVinci Academy has to offer at www.dviacademy.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I am joined this week by my colleague, Dr. Tim Grosselle. Uh, He is an ophthalmology resident here at Emory University, and he did his MD at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. Uh, we're both Ohio guys. I went, I went to Toledo, which is in, in the same area. And then we both did transitional year, uh, together. So we braved the wards of, of Grady and Emory and the VA <laughs> together. Uh, and then now, now Tim is doing his ophthalmology. So Tim, thanks a lot for joining us.
1: Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, I'm So Happy to be on.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, you know what I just realized is what the ophthalmology match was actually today. Is that right?
1: Yes, it was today. It's very, very good timing to, to have us on today. Cause yeah, the ophthalmology match was today. Very exciting. I know I talked with our program director briefly today and all the other co-residents. And like I'm sure most of the programs in the country, very excited about our class that we matched this year. We're really excited to get everyone here in July and and get started.
0: Nice. Nice. So, uh, you know, how are things going? What what, uh, rotation are you on and how's that going?
1: It's good. So I'm on our Grady primary rotation. So every ophthalmology program is a little bit different. We have two resident-run clinics. One of them is at Grady, which is our county hospital here in Atlanta. Um, so we always have attendings that staff our clinic, but it's really a resident-run clinic. Residents are seeing all the patients first and staff them attending. Um, it's definitely one of the busier rotations. We you know, see a lot of patients. We have different subspecialty days. So today, actually, it was just comprehensive. So we just had a comprehensive attending there but like tomorrow we have surgical retina and then some comprehensive patients too. So we still get a mix of the subspecialty care, but it's all, all resident run. Um, as one of the first year residents, we also cover the day consults at Grady. So sometimes you feel like you're a little bit torn in a, in a couple of directions, um, trying to cover the day consults and see clinic patients. Um, but it's good. We actually, we actually also had uh, one of our neuro-ophthalmology attendings. Um, Dr. Newman came today to staff some patients as well. So I uh, did have a little bit of subspecialty but yeah every Gradys good because every day is a little bit different um, you really see some really pretty advanced pathology there um, which is makes makes for good training um, a lot of good surgical experience comes at Grady and there's something to be said for you know all of these are your patients you're the one kind of you know making the final call and really saying what you want to do with the patient versus an attending clinic which you know you see also, you know, really advanced and interesting cases like at Emory, advanced pathology. But when it comes down to it, you know, the attending is going to be in there, see the patient, and it's that. what they want to do for themselves. Whereas at Grady and at the VA, you really take more, more ownership since it is a resident run clinic. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Interesting. So I, I guess maybe um, it sounds like you, you covered kind of what you guys do on the outpatient side of things. Um, but maybe take us through like a typical day on the inpatient service for you guys, like is it mainly consults? Is it, do you have like your primary patients? And then obviously how does surgery fit into that as well?
1: Yeah. So we don't really have like a primary service. Every once in a while, we'll have a trauma that gets admitted to our service overnight if they come in with an open globe injury. So anything that the globe is violated and we have to take them to the OR the next day. Um, but sometimes it, you know, they're likely to have other traumatic injuries. They'll get admitted to the trauma service or the medicine service. Um, We don't have any residents that are specifically just covering consults or just covering the inpatient Um, census. It's usually uh, one of the first years is kind of, you know, in charge of the patient while they're on the floor. Um, Ophthalmology is actually kind of starting to switch over to all the transitional years have to be at the same location where you're doing your advanced ophthalmology program. So we have a transitional year, at least one with us, basically all the time at Grady. So they help us out a ton with um, seeing patients on the floor for consults, seeing patients in the emergency department for consults. Um, And then it's the first years that take call overnight. So the interns, we don't have them take call or anything overnight. I'd say on an average day, um, as far as during the day for inpatient consults, we probably get four to five that are on the floor um, throughout the hospital for different things with whether it's like a fungemia in an ICU patient and they want to rule out if there's any ocular involvement to someone, you know, with some red eye and the primary team is not exactly sure why. And then we, you know, probably get probably four to five maybe a little bit more in the emergency department, um, either coming with acute eye pain, coming in with trauma, um, any like eyelid lacerations, we usually have to go down and, and repair, um, and then sometimes we'll get some calls too from like the urgent care center across from Grady and try to triage those patients and decide if they need to go to the emergency department, if they can come up to eye clinic or really figure out the best way to get them seen and get them taken care of. Um, so it's not like a, a lot of other surgical services where you know they have patients that they took to the OR and then they have them on the floor for a few days or taking care of them post-operatively. Basically all of our surgeries, patients can we discharge the day of. It's all outpatient surgeries. Sometimes the patients stay inpatient, they have other medical comorbidities, um, but we're not usually, we're not like getting numbers in the morning and rounding and all that sort of stuff. Um, if we have patients that we're following their are inpatient, like have a coronary ulcer or something else we're following, um, you know, one or two people would just kind of go see them when they have time in between patients and clinic or before clinic starts. Gotcha.
0: And I, um, from my memory, actually, you, you told me this last year when we were rotating the ED together that an ophthalmology consult can actually take uh, considerably more time than one may realize. And so I was wondering if you could maybe touch on that. And then also you guys carry around some, some interesting and cool looking equipment. So maybe maybe
1: if you could tell us a little bit about that, some of your gadgets that you guys use. Yeah, definitely. Ophthalmology has a lot of, a lot of new technologies and a lot of gadgets we use all the time. Most of them are more in like some of the cooler ones, you know, in the clinic and the operating room, but even still on the, on the floor consults. Uh, one of the reasons it takes more time is ophthalmology is a very exam focused specialty and. Just kind of getting the story, and even if the emergency department got imaging, there's not really enough there to for us to make a decision and decide what we need to do with the patient. So basically, all patients, if there's you know a real question that the emergency department has, we have to go see them in person. Compared to maybe some other surgical subspecialties who can you know, so we recommend this imaging, this imaging, these lab tests, and then we'll round on them and actually see them in the morning. So everyone that we see, we have to do a pupil exam, get um, a vision, get the eye pressure, which usually we use what we call as an eye care or a tono pen. And that's a way to get the eye pressure in the emergency department. So that's one of the big boxes we're usually carrying around. Um, and then we check extraocular motion movements and then check like confrontational visual fields. And those are kind of all what we refer to as the eye vitals. Um, and that's one of the things, you know, if any of your listeners aren't going into ophthalmology but are going into emergency medicine or even internal medicine. If you can get all of those eye vitals, um, it's really helpful for us to help triage things. A lot of times, most emergency departments have something to check eye pressure. I know a lot of times on the floor, that's not quite as easy to get, but those can really help us decide because every once in a while, you know, we'll get two consults at the same time or sometimes overnight, we're covering multiple hospitals. So it really helps us triage things that way. And then the majority of our time spending on consults is we have to dilate all our patients. And the dilating eye drops don't work right away so we have to put the dilating eye drops in wait you know 15 20 25 minutes and then use the uh, indirect ophthalmoscope um, which is the one that's hanging on the wall it's the one that we wear on top of our head it looks like a special ops person with the little glasses in front and stuff um, and use our, use different lenses to kind of look in the back of the eye look at the optic nerve look at the retina and make sure there's nothing going on that's visioning threatening that has to be taken care of that night. Gotcha.
0: What are, I guess, what are the, what are like the common things where like you guys would have to say, like, we have to go to the OR, like either that night or, you know, the next day or something like
1: that? What, what are those types of consults or pathology you guys would see? Yeah. The biggest one for us, at least at Grady, especially, and that's where I am now, so that's kind of where my mind goes right away, is trauma and open globes um so we get consulted on basically all of the orbital fractures but those very very rarely have to go to the OR right away um if the patient if the, one of the extraocular muscles is entrapped um you would recommend to go to the OR uh, more urgently but most adults have pretty brittle bones and the uh, extraocular muscles that are actually get entrapped It's a little more common in kids um but one that we see a lot and go to the OR a lot with are open globe so any Um, penetrating trauma to the eye, um, gunshot wounds to the eye, those sorts of things um, really should be repaired urgently, you know, within, I don't know, anyway, 18, 24 hours is kind of pushing it. We like usually try to post it within six hours, try to get to the OR sooner rather than later. So that's that's the biggest one. The other one you always hear about are retinal detachments. Um, And really before starting ophthalmology residency, I didn't realize all the kind of nuances with retinal detachments, and there's different types of retinal detachments. And so retinal detachments that are associated with diabetes, like a tractional retinal detachment, that's something that's been going on chronically and been going on for a long time. I know my first few nights on call, I'll get a page from the ED that, you know, some retina surgeon somewhere else in Atlanta sent their patient to Grady with a retinal detachment and kind of Freak me out! Like, what am I going to be able to contribute? That this retinal surgeon, you know, outside that's been been in a fellowship for two years, finished a residency. What am I going to contribute? But a lot of times, what ends up being is they're a diabetic and they have this tractional retinal detachment that's not an emergency and can be taken care of on an outpatient basis. Um, the retinal detachments we worry about are the rheumatogenous retinal detachments. People that have longer eyes, you know, are are nearsighted, and that's like the classic. Uh, I saw a bunch of flashing lights. Uh, you know, hundreds of floaters coming over my vision, then a veil coming over my vision. And why we like to intervene on those more urgently is because if it goes to the macula, or the center part of the vision, um, the outcomes aren't as good. If you unless if you repair earlier, the outcomes are better than if you wait to it involves the macula. Even sometimes some of those, if it's not truly detached all the way, or only part of it's detached, so we can do um, laser procedures. Or, or other things to kind of keep it from going into the macula. We ne- might not necessarily have to go, go to the OR in the middle of the night. Um, and I think, the, I guess the other one is some oculoplastic conditions, like any um, lid lacerations. A lot of times it's gonna be repaired at bedside, but if they're involved, the uh, tear drainage system of the eye at the canocular system, sometimes those need to go to the operating room to make sure the patients that have problems with tearing after the, after the injury and after the repair.
0: Interesting, interesting. That's um, I would have, I, I definitely would have guessed like retinal uh, detachment or, or uh, uh, definitely like a, like you said, orbital fracture. But there sounds like there's, there's much more to the story there too, and even the nuances of of retinal detachment. That's that's pretty interesting. I would have nec- wouldn't have necessarily thought of that. That's that's pretty interesting. We're going to take a quick break to let you know the Da Vinci Hour podcast is brought to you by Da Vinci Academy, which provides online video courses for the medical basic sciences. These courses are taught using a variety of teaching methods, including bullet point outlines, diagrams, radiology images, and chalk talks to explain the fundamental concepts. We then teach the application of those concepts to numerous clinical pearls that are frequently tested on medical school exams and the USMLE. Our video courses are available on our website, dviacademy.com, as monthly subscriptions starting at $9.99 per month. Each video course has a corresponding outline format textbook as well. You can find the link to our website in the description below. Also, be sure to use the discount code TDH20 to receive 20% off any of our video courses. All right, now back to the podcast. You know, a lot of people, ophthalmology gets roped in with like with radiology and some of the others as like the road specialties, unquote, quote, unquote. I guess what, what are the hours? My understanding from ophthalmology is, Your hours can be pretty good as an attending, but as a resident there, they can be pretty long from what I've heard. Is it, I guess, could you comment on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that assessment. (laughs) Uh, Like I said, I was just at at this uh, state Georgia ophthalmology society meeting talking with um, a bunch of the people that graduated from Emory and are now attending, you know, elsewhere in Georgia, some in Atlanta, some are further away. And their lives definitely sound like, you know, they're pretty good hours. They're working hard and, you know, seeing... 50, 60 patients a day, some of them in clinic and, you know, doing anywhere from 30 to 40 surgeries a week. So they're definitely busy. Um, But when you're experienced, you know, you can get through those patients pretty quickly and have a pretty good um, lifestyle and, you know, get off by six or seven at night. Don't, most of them don't take call. Um, Some of them do, but the call is usually a lot lighter than us as residents covering, you know, the level one trauma center and a lot of the tertiary referral centers. Um, you know, Emory, Maine and Emory Midtown. So I'd say hours for us as residents, we our clinic starts at eight, but usually we're seeing four patients beforehand. So I'd say I'm usually at the hospital by 645 or seven, um, see some of the patients that, you know, I'm kind of following an inpatient or we're seen overnight and need a repeat exam or something. Um, see clinic patients throughout the day, depending on the clinic, usually on a good day ends like 6, 6.30. Sometimes it can go later if it's a really busy clinic day with a lot of subspecialty um, care or if there's a lot of patients that need in-office procedures that day, we can push it a little bit later. And then the big variable is call and how, how busy or not that is. Um, you know, every once in a while, we won't get called in at all. But then there's some nights when I come home, maybe have a bite to eat and then get called in and and I'm up, um, a large portion of the night. So it just kind of depends how many people got in fights that night and got orbital (laughs) fractures. Um, you know, how many people were, you know, lost to fallout for whatever reason and their uveitis flared up and need to be seen. Um, you know, how many diabetics realized all of a sudden that, you know, their vision went completely black and have a bad vitreous hemorrhage and came to the emergency department because they were concerned. Um, but, you know, our, our program does a pretty nice job. And if you're up late or up all night on call, um, our program director totally understands. He was an Emory resident. He's been there. So we're able to call and, you know, we just email him and email our program director and we can take a few hours in the morning to catch up on some sleep, um, which is really good. And then I think kind of like we we're talking before the second half of our first year, we actually have a night float system. So that makes the hours way better. Um, the night float resident doesn't go to clinic or anything during the day. It's still technically home call as a night float. So if somehow they don't get called in at all at night, they're able just to stay at home and sleep. Or a lot of them flip. A lot of times we flip our schedules so you know do research. Um, we have our in training exams coming up, so people are studying for that. Um, that makes it a lot nicer because we stop covering inpatient consults or ED consults around like five or six. So. Um, They can, they take a lot of the stuff that comes in in the, in the early evening and then overnight, which has been a really big, uh, big plus for the quality of life. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I I can,
0: I can imagine. Um, I guess when you guys do take the, your call, um, if it's not night float, is it like, you know, like you guys rotate weekends through, or like, how do you guys typically, and I guess I realize that probably varies by program by program, but maybe how, how things are done here.
1: Yeah, it definitely varies by program. Ours is, um, you know, one of the reasons I really liked Emory is because I feel like we got a lot of different practice setting experience, uh, which I think is great because we have the attending clinics at Emory, and then we have the VA and Grady, which both are resident clinics, but you see a little bit different of a patient population. I guess the the downside of that is you have to cover call at all those places too. Um, so as a first year resident, we cover call at Grady, the VA, and then Emory Midtown. Which is uh, definitely less busy than emory maine but still sees its fair share of things uh the first half of the year there's two first years on one's covering grady because it's busy enough and then another one is covering the va or emory midtown which tends to be less busy Uh, we always have third year backup so anything that's surgical we call our third years anything we aren't sure about we call our third years the first couple months we're on buddy call so you call your third year busy no matter what um the first month they have to come in and see it no matter what. And they come in to see a lot of things, even in the second month. And even, even now, you know, they'll come in and see everything that's surgical and come in and see other things that we just aren't sure about. Then we have fellow and attending backups as well. If you know, the third year is not exactly sure what needs to be done. And then everything, anything that goes to the OR always has a fellow or an attending. And then our second year call is covering Emory main hospital sees a lot of referrals from other ophthalmologists. Those tend to kind of go to Emory EUH, uh, the main hospital. So they're seeing more kind of ophthalmology specific emergencies, like acute angle closure glaucoma. I feel like they see more things like that at Emory. A lot of the more serious retinal pathologies that need to be dealt with immediately I feel like sometimes end up at Emory um, and less trauma. Emory isn't really a trauma center. So the first years are seeing more of the traumas down at Grady. Um, but as the second year, there's six of you, and you're only covering one hospital, so it's basically Q6 call. Um, as a first year, the call averages out to about Q3. Uh, we kind of switched the call pools a little bit, so you're on the VA VA in Midtown more frequently, because it's a lot lighter of a call, and there's a little bit more time spread throughout Grady, um, and then the weekends, essentially, are Q3, the first half of the year, but second half of the year, they become Q6 and you, you cover all three hospitals, which sounds pretty intimidating and sounded intimidating at first, but after doing it for six months, you get a lot more efficient. You know, it needs to be done sooner. You know, what, what needs to be done right away? What can wait a few hours, you know, as far as inpatient stuff goes and makes it, makes it a lot easier to not be on call so frequently. Um, every sixth weekend doesn't really seem as bad. Uh, every third weekend can get busy.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, I guess kind of that being said, um, based, you know, based on the, you know, the master's today, I think you commented on this earlier. What's the situation, kind of the evolving situation with the intern year? Like you said, I think you said it's, it seems like it's moving to be more categorical, so to speak, but I guess is that, yeah. and what are your thoughts? Like, do people, do those tend to be more like medicine heavy years or is there some surgery thrown in there or do people do surgical years still or I guess how does that kind of play in and maybe if you have thoughts on what the best route may be
1: to go yeah that's a good question so I know I think when I was matching so two years ago now they were trying to get everyone that you have to do your intern year at the same location or your your advanced program has to offer an intern year some some of the programs didn't have a hospital that they were affiliated with that had interneer spots so they had like you know a branch hospital where all their interns would rotate basically the idea was kind of standardize things across the board all interns get would get three months of ophthalmology because there's some programs that were offering more months as year, some that want to offer as many so they try to standardize it three months across the board and then I know with COVID that had kind of changed a little bit and got put on the back burner just because there's a lot of you know, obviously medicine was changing, financial constrictions, all that, all that sort of stuff. And I'm not sure exactly what's happening now. I think talking to some people that were matching this year, there were still only a few programs that weren't offering the kind of combined program. And it's also slightly different based on if the ophthalmology program is sponsoring it or if they are just reserving kind of transitional year or medicine prelim years at the institution. Like Emory's, we do the transitional year. So it's technically our first year is through the College of Medicine and the Internal Medicine program. I know one of my friends from undergrad is at University of Cincinnati. And I think theirs is actually through the ophthalmology program. So their like orientation stuff was more through ophthalmology, although they still rotate through medicine, through the emergency department, those sorts of things. Um, I don't know of anyone you know, or like in my year or any years kind of around me that have done surgical prelim years. I know people that have, I know like the program director of Ohio State did a surgical prelim year. Um, and it's definitely doable. I was kind of told, first of all, the hours are definitely going to be worse. The actual surgical skills that you may or may not require as an intern, you know, ophthalmology is basically all microsurgery. So even if you do get into some cases an intern, it's not gonna necessarily translate that much to the actual surgical skills, part of ophthalmology. And then the post-surgical care of our patients is just so different too. Um, so I was kind of advised to either do the transitional year or, or do the medicine prelim year. Um, and I thought, I, I thought Emory's transitional year did a good job of getting us exposed to a little bit of everything. Um, we didn't have a surgical rotation but I didn't feel I didn't feel like that impacted my my training too much. We had a you know a month of like a family medicine thing at the VA, which I thought was good. Uh, had a month at the emergency room, which was really good, just to get to know the people in the ED and kind of see what they go through, see how busy they are. So when they call you for a consult, that you felt like you know wasn't worked up all the way or something, <laughs> you kind of understand that you know they're under a lot of pressure, seeing a lot of patients and a lot of really sick people. And then we had I think four or five months of wards, um, maybe five or six, um, which is obviously, you know, the kind of the bane of the outpatient specialties, you know, intern year. But again, we got to meet a lot of the other co-interns in the medicine class and in the transitional class. And, you gonna know, have interact with those people a lot. Like I was, um, we are consulting a lot of, uh, neuro patients, um, for like optic neuritis and, um, IIH and things of that sort. So I feel like I'm always like epic chatting or calling the neuro PGY2s who are kind of running their service. And a lot of them I know from intern year, which is one of the really good things about, I think being at the same institution is where you do your advanced program is meeting all the people. In addition to just learning how the hospitals work, learning how the EMRs work. Um, I know, you know, there's a lot of kind of the CUSH TY programs. I'm sure you interviewed us some of them, Maxwell, for, for radiology and um, you know, there's a couple in Ohio for sure that definitely seem appealing, but I think it's, I, I don't know. I thought, I thought intern year was fine here, here, and Emory is supposed to be one of the ones that's, you know, more intense. Um, I always told myself in mid-school and in residency, you know, if it's a one month rotation, I think I can do anything for one month. Um, you should be a break after that one month, hopefully. So I definitely thought like the, you know, the advantages of being at Emory being able to meet everyone, um definitely outweighed the negatives of it being a little bit more of an intense year than a a private practice or you know private hospital kind of a cush ty situation and the the big plus from ophthalmology standpoint is you get those three months of ophthalmology here at Emory we do two months at Grady and one month at the VA so you get to not only just meet all the attendees you're gonna be working with for the rest of your three years you learn how you know kind of the clinics run and that sort of stuff and we really don't get much ophthalmology training even if you're going into ophthalmology as a medical student it's so exam heavy even if you're in an attendance clinic you don't always get that much time to work on your exam skills and that's really kind of the meat of what's going on so you really get a kind of you know start learning your exam skills start seeing some inpatient consults which makes call a lot easier and I felt like we really kind of could hit the ground running starting in July because there's just a lot to learn as an ophthalmology resident.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I think you hit on a lot of good points. You know, I get, I've done as I'm sure you have for your program done some like recruitment sessions and like on zoom and the applicants always ask me about the T Y year. And I, I agree with everything you said, like, it's, it's not, I mean, every, you know, we cover a lot of different places as you've talked about. So it was nice to, you know, get acquainted to all of those hospitals. And then um, with radiology it's the same thing. You know, we have a lot of people, uh, you guys don't necessarily call us as much as some of the, the medicine people do, but Likewise, it's, it's nice to know a lot of those people on the, on the other end of the phone, um, from, you know, medicine or neurology or surgery. Um, so yeah, I can definitely, definitely agree with that. And it's, it's also nice to just not, I don't know about you just not to have to move twice. (laughs) Like, I think it's, it's financially and just time-wise is is super challenging. And then one thing I was thinking of, as you were talking about the intern year, it sounds like ophthalmology is but people may not realize is you guys do do a lot of clinic and do a lot of like, uh, you know, seeing patients in the outpatient setting. I imagine doing a lot of medicine probably would help with that. If I'd just be curious, your, your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of patients we share with different medicine subspecialties. So it's good to get to get familiar with that, especially I mean, rheumatology is a huge one with a lot of our uveitis patients. Um, a ton of, basically all of our retina, you know, the vast majority of our retina patients, especially at places like Grady, um, have diabetes and are, we're treating some sort of complication from diabetic retinopathy. So we're not, you know, titrating their insulin or managing their diabetes medicines, but it's nice to kind of have an understanding of how that would be done. And when we need to, you know, make sure they're seeing their family doctor versus seeing an endocrinologist, that sort of stuff. Um, Even like kind of understanding how you know, someone was diagnosed with the diabetes, like 1.5. They thought it was maybe this like late onset diabetes in an adult and how his diabetic retinopathy presented different from someone that was kind of a regular old type two diabetic. Um, understanding that really did actually kind of change our management for the patient. So it's important to, to learn those medicine fundamentals. Um, we see a, a good amount of like dermatologic stuff too, because we were seeing the lesions on the eyelid and sort of around the eye. So that was, that was a hopeful one. Um, studying for our boards now, there's a ton of pathology. We don't use that as much um, clinically, but I know I didn't do one of the electives of the neuropathology. Um, I'm not sure if you did, but I know some of, some of my uh, co-residents that did that, first of all, liked it for the hours and things, but also <laughs> yeah. said it was kind of helpful coming for boards. Um, a lot of us did the elective for neuroradiology, um, which I did. And I thought that was really helpful. Um, we would read out in the morning uh, from the grade ED and like look at all the strokes on the CT scans. And I felt like at least there was one or two every night that had some orbital fractures. And since we're consulted along with ENT or facial plastics or OMFS on those patients, it's really good to be comfortable reading those scans overnight and um, making sure there's no entrapment, making sure if there is a retrobulbar hematoma, seeing if there's tenting of the nerve, um, cause that's another one, like the ophthalmic emergencies. So getting that, getting that background in medicine and some of the kind of the other specialties, it's definitely helpful. Even though we're in clinic a lot of the time, a lot of times those clinic patients, you know, have other medical problems.
0: Sure. Sure. And then I guess, um, the other side of things the maybe the more exciting aspect, the, the surgical aspect, I guess, how many, how many days are you guys typically in the OR and like, what are your, like, what are the bread
1: and butter cases you're, you're, uh, you're doing these days. Yeah, yeah. Good question. So every residency program is set up slightly different as far as the surgical experience goes. Um, some are what you call more like backloaded, so you're doing a lot more surgery in your later years and less in your in your early years. And then some try to space it out a little bit more. Emory is fairly backloaded. Uh, so right now, I don't really have any days that are specifically surgery. Uh, but the third years at Grady are either operating two days a week and one's operating three days a week, and then they flip every other month. So they're doing a lot of surgery. Then the days they aren't in the OR, they're just seeing either pre-op or post-op patients. So that your months as a third year at Grady are basically all surgery. Um, but as a first year on some of your subspecialty rotations at Emory, that's when you first start getting involved in the OR. So especially plastics cases, um, it's like eyelid and orbit stuff. You start you know doing those cases. Um, working your suturing skills. Um, we're always suturing lid legs and stuff in the emergency department. And then um, nucleations are also usually a first year surgery at Grady. Um, so, actually, like removing the eyeball if it's a blind, painful eye, or if there was devastating trauma and we can't save the eye, those are usually the first year surgeries. Um, I guess the thought is if you're taking out the eye, there's not that much of a first year can mess up um, in that case. <laughs> um, And then in your second year is when you really start doing kind of the bread and butter of ophthalmology, which is cataract surgery. Um, I think it is still the most common surgery performed in the United States. I I tell my patients, you know, every day that the more birthdays you have, the worse your cataracts get, everyone in this world gets cataracts. And it's just kind of a matter of time and how much impact, how much they're impacting their vision is based on when we take it out. So that's kind of really the, the bread and butter case. And You start doing that your second year. Um, First, at first, you just do a few steps to kind of get used to operating inside the eye, since it is, you know, you're, you're at an operating microscope, you're actually operating inside the eye. Um, it's very fine, very delicate surgeries. But then throughout your second year, you do, you know, several, I think up to, you know, 25, 30 is kind of typical for us, sometimes more um, primary cases that you're doing start to finish. And then your third year is really where you ramp up in volume in cataract surgery and usually end with 250, 300 cases. I know COVID has kind of messed up things, um, but that's just doing cataract surgeries, which sounds like a lot, but even after that, um, you're still not where you're gonna be when you're an attending surgeon five years down the line. Um, it's just a very delicate surgery. And then as far as like the subspecialty surgeries, we get a lot of those as well. Those are more on our EM rotations. Um, a lot of our pediatrics or business cases, um, we operate over at CHOA for those. And then our retina and glaucoma cases, we have attendings that do those cases that are resident cases at the VA and at Grady. And then we also go into the OR with them um, over at Emory. The, the cases that are at Grady and the VA, you're still the primary surgeons who are doing a lot of the case, um, I guess, except, except for retina. So that's a two-year surgical subspecialty. Um, so, you'll do part of the case, but not really the whole case. And then uh, at Emory, you're you know, seeing some kind of advanced techniques in those different areas as well. Uh, one of the things I really liked about ophthalmology, though, is not a lot of the things that um, might be kind of considered surgical, but they're more just procedures. We can do a lot of those in office. Um, and as a first year, we're doing a lot of those cases. So, a lot of laser procedures, both for glaucoma and then. Sometimes as well, after cataract surgery, there can be like a thin film of like scar tissue on the back of the new lens we placed in. And it can, it's people would refer to it as a secondary cataract. It's not really the cataract growing back, but that's kind of what the patient sees like. It still makes the lens cloudy. Um, and it just, it's taken down with a laser in clinic. So we do all of those as the first year. We do a lot of the glaucoma lasers. Um, so it's, it's fun to finally you know, start doing procedures since we had a full intern year where we weren't really doing anything procedure related to the I, we kind of jump right in as a first year.
0: Interesting. Interesting. I guess one thing I'm thinking about kind of on the, on the back end of, of your training is uh, with all these different subspecials you're talking about, or do you guys typically do fellowships? And I, if you do, what, what fellowships are out there? And is it possible to not do a fellowship if, if you want to just kind of go directly into practice, I guess, what are kind of, what's the trends these days, as far as that goes?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So it's, it's crazy that it seems, you know, ophthalmology are already specializing in just the eye. There's actually a, a lot of fellowships that come after that. Um, so kind of the, the different options are you have surgical retina, which is a two-year fellowship. You have medical retina, and they're usually combined with uveitis, which is a one-year fellowship. You have glaucoma, which is a one-year fellowship and it's mainly, you know, it's the medical, but a lot of times like the surgical management of glaucoma, is kind of what's emphasized. And those, then you have oculoplastics, which is a two year fellowship, um, learning all about the eyelid and orbital surgeries. Um, And those are probably like the, you know, the most, the biggest surgeries I'd say, you know, the most exposure and that kind of stuff. And then there's cornea fellowships as well. um, Really, you know, digging into corneal transplants and the different types of corneal transplants you can do as a cornea fellow. then neuro-ophthalmology is also a fellowship. That's a year of fellowship. Actually interesting because it can be, you can get to neuro-ophthalmology fellowship uh, through neurology as well, as well as ophthalmology. So, yeah, Emory actually has one of the, has a very strong neuro-ophthalmology uh, department. Um, Dr. Newman and Dr. Buse are like world famous neuro-ophthalmologists and they were both neurology trained and then Dr. Buse also did an ophthalmology residency. So they, each year they have two fellows, One's neurology trained and one's ophthalmology trained. So it's always interesting to see um, kind of the strengths and weaknesses of coming out of either residency um, when they're the neuro-ophthalmology fellow. I think I covered all of the fellowships. Yeah. All right. I think I, all, the, all the, the big ones, at least. Um, and I feel like as far as the amount of people that are doing fellowships, you know, it's pretty variable. Some programs, basically everyone does a fellowship coming out of them. Some of them are really trying to train comprehensive general ophthalmologists. I feel like Emory kind of varies year to year, but I feel like it's roughly half, maybe a little bit more doing fellowship. Um, A lot of times, just based on kind of job market, um, if you want to live in like a big city or a big metro area, it's good to kind of have a little bit of a niche and have a little bit of a subspecialty. Um, If you're a comprehensive ophthalmologist and living in a bigger area, a lot of times you're really being you're a cataract surgeon and you're doing a lot of cataract surgery. That doesn't require a fellowship. We learned to do cataract surgery very well as a resident. And so you're, you're doing a lot of cataract surgery and then um, oftentimes referring some of the other stuff to, to subspecialists that are in the area. And if you work in more of a rural area or a smaller town or even kind of a mid-sized city, I think there's definitely still a market and still someone that can do be a true comprehensive ophthalmologist and not just do cataract surgery also do a lot of lid surgery, um, not necessarily do retinal surgery, but even start patients on retinal, um, injections, which we do do a lot of, um, can do a lot of glaucoma laser procedures. Um, there's, you know, a few ophthalmologists that even do like incisional glaucoma surgery, uh, without doing a fellowship, but I feel like most of those are, are fellowship trained now. So it's really kind of what you want in your practice. Um, what, what kind of things you want to do in the future, how specialized do you want to be, and really what what kind of brings you joy. There's some people that, uh, you know, just don't want to do cataract surgery anymore, don't want to deal with lids or anything, and just really love the retina and love surgical retina, and then that's there for them, um, and that kind of, you know, for all the specialties are, are sort of like that, and then there's, there's also some people that do a fellowship, but still try to retain some of the comprehensive aspect of that, so we have a couple of attendings that are fellowship trained and they even do see a lot of comprehensive patients and do a lot of cataract surgery, but also kind of have a, they're not whole practice, but part of their practice is whatever subspecialty. Um, actually one of the ones I forgot was, um, ocular pathology and oncology. Uh, hmm. Emory also has a fellowship for that. We have a really good ocular, a really good ocular oncology department, a really good ocular pathologist. Um, and like Dr. Wells is a comprehensive ophthalmologist she does cataract surgery, sees a lot of kind of bread and butter ophthalmology, but she's also an oncologist and pathologist so sees a lot of eyelid tumors, um, choroidal melanomas, retinal tumors, that, that sort of thing too. So kind of whatever you want to make of it. Um, I know all of the Emory graduates I've talked to, especially feel very comfortable going into comprehensive ophthalmology. They don't feel like they need extra surgical training um, to be a good surgeon and do a fellowship, um, which, is, which is really encouraging.
0: That's awesome. It's it's just amazing the, you know, even though you guys focus on one specific area, the the variety and, and breadth of of areas you can go is is pretty amazing. Um, I guess one thing I'm I'm wondering here also is is the split between like clinic and surgery, is that typically like 50-50 or is it kind of depend on what subspecialty you go? Like it sounds like maybe if you do retina you're going to do a lot more surgery and maybe other specialties you're going to do a lot more clinic. Is it is that kind of a driver behind that as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, somewhat. I feel like, I mean, most of the surgeries, some of the retina surgeries definitely take longer, but the surgeries are pretty quick. So, I mean, like a simple, uncomplicated cataract surgery um, to, you know, starting out, it's slower, but even by the time you're a resident, you know, 15, 20 minutes, um, there are some attendings that are really quick and it's like, you know, seven, eight minutes and they have two different operating rooms running at the same time, just because it takes them, they're so quick for them operating. It takes more time to tear down and set up the rooms and the actual time in the OR. So I feel like it's maybe more common to have like one, maybe one and a half days in the operating room. And then, you know, three days maybe in clinic and then a day of, you know, admin time or whatever as as an attending. Plastics um, is, oculoplastics is very surgical heavy. Um, And it, a lot of times there are clinic visits although they still do prescribe medicines and there's other options often than surgery for plastics patients. A lot of times it seems like their visits are kind of like, okay, are we going to do surgery to fix this problem or not? So they're a little more surgically inclined. And then surgical retina also operates a little bit more maybe than the rest of them, but their surgeries also take longer. And there's also with anti-VEGF injections and with some of the laser treatments we have for retina. Um, not all of their patients are really, really surgical patients. And that's kind of one of those, I guess, kind of getting away from your question a little bit. Um, Like when I was in medical school, I was trying to decide between orthopedic surgery and ophthalmology. And when I was in orthopedic clinic, I felt like the question was always, are we going to take this patient to the OR or is this non-surgical and they go see somewhere else, see someone else. And what I liked about ophthalmology was, is, you know, we have the option to do surgery for a lot of our pathology, but we also have drops, injections, oral medications are other things we can do for our patients as well, besides just taking to surgery for a lot of the pathologies we treated. So I felt like it made clinic a lot more interesting and it kind of gave patients a, a wider range of options.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Um I guess kind of going off that off the your of med school experiences, what what are your is advice for people that are they're maybe like a third year med student, they're interested in ophthalmology, how do they work that in? Because maybe I know some places have bigger ophthalmology departments than others. And, um, I guess what's your kind of advice for getting that one, getting the exposure. Cause I imagine that's probably one of the biggest steps. And then two, like making that decision that that's, that's kind of where you want to go with your career.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. The biggest thing is just getting the exposure and, you know, even spending an afternoon or a day in clinic with an ophthalmologist when you can, I think kind of gives you a good insight into you know, potentially how the special could be or or how you might like it. Um, I'd say one thing is even if you do it and it seems really boring, don't get too discouraged because like I said, a lot of it comes from the exam and looking at the microscope at eyes. Um, so if you don't, you know, if it's a busy attending clinic, a lot of times you don't have the opportunity to look, or even if they have you look, you know, there's not someone there showing you exactly what's going on. So I remember, even though I was, you know, very interested in ophthalmology, even some of my medical student rotations in ophthalmology was a little bit boring, and you kind of just have to, um, you know, try to get out what you can and try to imagine if you were the one actually doing the exam and seeing these things, if you'd enjoy it. Um, and again, also, I know it's it's tough for especially with places that maybe don't have as big of an ophthalmology department, but I thought it was really impactful when I was able to go to the operating room. Um, not only just to kind of watch the surgeries when they're projected up on the board, but if you have a chance to either scrub in or even just like look through the operating microscope, um, it really brings things into three dimensions. You're able to see the depth and really gives you a greater appreciation for the surgeries. Um, And I know if you don't have a home ophthalmology program, a lot of times, there'll be a, uh, an ophthalmologist in the area that might've, you know, done medical school, or would just be even happy to have someone, you know, tag along in the clinic or in the OR for a day. Um, so I know some students have done that as an option. And then the other thing, you know, if you don't have the program and you think you're interested, um, would it would be doing it away. Obviously you would have to have more than just a little bit of interest, you know, to spend a whole month as a fourth year and to do it away, but that's, you know, something where you can also gain a lot of experience.
0: Yeah. I guess going off that away thing, and I, I realized COVID may have Change this, but is, is ophthalmology one that in the past people typically did away rotations for? And I guess how has that stayed steady with the, with the COVID situation? And, and do you feel like those are helpful for, you know, eventually either matching in general or matching where you want to match?
1: Yeah. So I, the way I kind of think of it is it's not quite like, I don't know, like neurosurgery or orthopedics where it's like, everyone does a and you have to do a ways, Uh, But on the other hand, it's not maybe like, you know, medicine where very few people do a ways, like it's kind of somewhere in the middle. I know, or I don't, I'm pretty sure like Emory kind of tells their students that unless there's a, you know, compelling reason for you to want to go to one place exactly, they kind of discourage a ways just because you don't really know that much about ophthalmology as a medical student. Um, So it's really hard to impress anyone with your knowledge. And then it just takes, you know, one time of you somehow rubbing someone the wrong, maybe you're even like you're too excited to be there. And one attending is grumpy that day or something. So it's almost easier to kind of mess things up than to, to make a really good impression. Um, but when I was in med school, you know, I went to Ohio State and they were kind of said the same thing. You know, they're like, oh, you don't need to do it in a way, but if you want to, you know, you should go for it. Um, so I actually ended up doing two aways. Um, I did one actually at Emory where I ended up matching, which is, you know, obviously a great experience. I really, really enjoyed my time. I, I was doing a surgical elective actually. So I was in the OR ton, working in the Emory wet lab with one of the attendings. It was a really great experience. And I did one in Chicago at well, as well at UIC. Um, also a great experience. Um, you know, really liked the program, liked the residents, had a good time. Um, my situation was slightly different because I was couples matching um, and trying to do like the pseudos couples matches ophthalmology is an early match with the regular match, um, made things a little challenging. So I wanted to, you know, go to some places, get, you know, meet people, meet the program directors kind of, um, have some connections besides just Ohio, um, which ended up working out for me. But I think that's another reason to maybe do in a way, if there's a part of the country where you really want to go or a specific program, you really want to go, um, just realizing that it is hard. It's it's uh, ophthalmology is a hard rotation as a med student and not the fact that, you know, the hours are hard or the learning is hard. It just, you really don't know that much. Um, and so it's sometimes gonna be hard to make a good impression. That being said, if, you know, you show up on time, you work hard, you act interested, you try to hope when you can, um, you know, those are kind of the things we're looking for. So it's not that hard to do those sorts of things, but it's just not a lot of room to really shine.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, and I guess go- going off that, um, maybe could you highlight the major differences since uh, between the like and the main match that most specialties do in the ophthalmology match or the S, I believe it's the SF match, is what it's called.
1: SF match, yeah. yeah.
0: And then I guess maybe some general. I realize we could do a whole episode on this, but maybe your general thoughts on how to navigate that that match process.
1: Yeah, I think the the biggest difference, obviously, and it's kind of unfortunate, is that's an early match. So not only is ophthalmology a subspecialty where a lot of places don't get exposed to it. Um, I know like at, at Ohio State, like ophthalmology wasn't a required rotation. Um, I don't know about Toledo. And I, I know for Emory, they just get like one week of it. And sometimes it might be at the end of their third year. So it's, first of all, something that not a lot of people are exposed to. Maybe they learn about it late. And then it's on top of that, it's an early match. You can actually get things rolling a little bit earlier than some of the other The other specialties. Other than that, you know, it's a different, obviously it's a, it's a different system. So you have to log into SF match and submit everything instead of ERAS. Um, I think other than that, there's not a ton of differences. I mean, the letter recommendation process is slightly different and there's a lot of people have different opinions on if you should get them, your letters from all ophthalmologists or from, you know, a medicine attending or surgery attending you work with. Or a research mentor or something like that um, I think that's kind of just depends on really who you have the best relationships with I think it's important to have someone at least that can speak to your you know interest in the field of ophthalmology and not maybe knowledge in the field of ophthalmology I also think it's important to have someone who worked with you as a med student not just shadowing them in clinic and you know being a nice guy and being nice to their patients and showing up on time so that can actually speak to maybe a little more of your work ethic or how you like to think through problems um, so probably getting one from, you know, a medicine attending or a surgery attending or somebody you work with closely. And then I think there was three that were required. And that last one, uh, you know, a, a research mentor could be good, especially if it's in ophthalmology or another strong letter from a medicine or surgery, or, if, you know, you have kind of two mentors in ophthalmology. I think that's fine too. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if there's really any other big differences. I mean, it's kind of a pain just because. Especially if there hasn't been someone that you know that applied ophthalmology the year before, just the formatting is slightly different from ERAS. So I remember we'd have all these meetings as a fourth year med student with our dean of education talking about going through and how to format ERAS and how to put what goes where and SF match. Um, thankfully, our Ohio State had a you know, fantastic uh, medical education coordinator who was like one of the residency program coordinators that would sit down and walk us through all of it but I realize not, not everywhere has that. So that can just take some time and it's kind of a stressful time.
0: Gotcha. Is, is uh, just closing things out here is, is research like, I mean, cause like you said, you know, getting exposure is obviously a, you know, a big step and can even be a hurdle for some folks. And then obviously doing like a full rotation is research, something that's, I guess a lot of people would maybe wonder, is that expected? Or is it more just if you have like a publication or two, that's like a nice bonus or I guess, what are your, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's like I was, I was told in mid-school, I think it rings true, is they, a lot of the program directors just want to see that you have done some sort of research and are able to you know, formulate a question design a project to help answer that question and then talk about your results. Um, I think in some ways, having an ophthalmology-specific research project is helpful just in the fact that it shows that you're committed to ophthalmology. And it gives the interviewer something to talk to, talk to you about that they feel knowledgeable about at the interview as well. But by no means is it necessary. And some of my interviews, um, even at some of like the top, the top programs that I interviewed at, they were more interested in my orthopedic research because that was the research I really did more of in med school. And were kind of my projects, whereas the ophthalmology research was stuff that I had continued from undergrad or was stuff I kind of hopped on at the last second. Um, but they really wanted to hear about my research that I had designed the, you know, retrospective chart review and why we answered the question the way we did and how we, you know, why we published it the way we did. Um, so I think they really just want to see that you understand, you know, how to interpret research, how to um, perform research and kind of how to answer those questions.
0: Interesting. Yeah, no, I imagine that's in just even from an experience-wise, that's a much more valuable experience being able to, regardless of what area it is, to design something yourself and see it through and, and, and learn what you got from it. Um, awesome. I guess we'll, we'll, to close things out here. Um, we ask everybody this, what do you do when you're not, you know, working in the hospital and taking an ophthalmology call? What are your, what are your passions outside of medicine?
1: <laughs> yeah. Great question. So, um, big sports fan, um, going to Ohio State for eight years, big Ohio oh, yeah. State football <laughs> fan, um, I say basketball fan, uh, was born in Cleveland. So, um, unfortunately or unfortunately browns fan um, i guess and i well guardians now guardians fan um new name change for the cleveland baseball team right so that'll right. be interesting um try to stay active as much as i can uh outside of work and stuff which can be tough um before covid played a lot of basketball i have played some since um it's a little bit harder on the resident schedule than on the med student schedule that's for sure uh Recently picked up golf after moving to to warm Atlanta, uh, trying to right. get my get my golf swing down. Um, I'm sure I could take take a few lessons from you, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get there eventually. Um, and then I I, I think Atlanta is you know a great place to live. Ton of restaurants, bars, that sort of stuff. My you know restaurants to go to list has never been under a hundred in Atlanta. I'm always adding new places I want to go before I can actually go to the ones that people have recommended. So trying to slowly work my way through those. Um, but yeah, it's definitely ophthalmology residency, although it's really busy when we're on and when we're on call, we're really busy. Um, unlike medicine, and I think even sometimes other surgical specialties, kind of the default is you're off on weekends. You work really hard and you have clinic throughout the week, but we're not scheduling clinic visits on the weekends. Um, it's not like medicine where you only get one day off every six days. Um, unless you're on call, kind of the default is you're off on weekends. So definitely gives you a little more time to explore, do the things you want to do.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Tim, thanks a lot for uh, joining us. And I, I certainly learned a lot more about the, the field of ophthalmology and I'm, I'm sure our listeners did too. And uh, definitely appreciate your insights on the field and, and your experiences. Uh, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. More episodes are available on our website at dviacademy.com, our YouTube channel. They're also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also on our website, you can find our video courses for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology, and they're available as month-to-month packages. They're also available as a combo package where you can get all three courses in one. Our website also has a store where you can find our outline format textbooks for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology. All textbooks are available in paperback version and as eBooks as well. These textbooks complement our video courses and provide a nice addition to the learning experience of allowing you to focus on the learning and not having to write anything down. On our website, we also provide a free clinical cases video series called DaVinci Cases. DaVinci Cases aims to help you learn how to answer USMLE questions and apply concepts that you learn in our courses to answering those questions. Our cases cover a variety of topics and organ systems, and they're updated frequently with new cases. And then lastly on our website, you can find our blog, which has interesting articles that cover medical history, important figures in medicine, and innovations in medicine. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour, brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to tune in for our next episode.